On today's show, we'll talk about sous vide cooking and box wine. What a pairing. Our guest today is Joe Pulicicchio, the Director of Produce and Floral at Town & Country Markets. He's going to be talking about what's looking good this spring. We'll also get you updated on upcoming events, the latest news, including the closing of the Mexican grocery at Pike Place Market and the arrival of Sunny Hill. It's all coming up on the Seattle Dining Show. This is Chef Jeremy from Pecos Pit Barbecue. Let's open up the smoker and get the show on the road. Coming to you live at the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Welcome to the March 2020 Seattle Dining Show number 2003. I'm Connie Adams, Senior Editor, and I'm here with da, 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 Tom Marin, Publisher and Owner of Seattle Dining. The Chief Kitchen Executive. Yes, CKO. <laughs> oh no, CKE, I can't even spell. That's, those are hard. Or Chief Executive of the Kitchen, the CEK. CEK. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of chief kitchen executive one of one of the items i wanted to talk about this month with was your sous vide accomplishments you made a dinner the other night and i'm just going to take total credit for it it was based on fish that i got from my neighbor who got it from fishing in alaska so i'm sure it's all on me and he got it from an eskimo no he no. got it no he fished it himself he and his dad and uh it was great fish. They froze it on the boat when they caught it, right? Yeah, I'm I'm assuming so because it was it had it was to be so fresh. Yeah, so good. So anyway, tell us what you did because that was we did we had halibut and salmon that night. Yep, Connie had a little salmon, a little bit of halibut. We had four of us having dinner, and so we just sort of did uh, kind of very small portions of each for for everybody, and uh, we did it in the sous vide. So we controlled that temperature to just 120, and we didn't have to mess around with a fry pan. We didn't have to mess around with maybe the skin's going to come off when we sear it. Who knows? Yeah. You know, all the, all the things that can happen in pan frying or yeah. baking. And maybe other people love this, but sometimes cooking fish at home, not liking the smell so much. Mm-mm. No smell with sous vide. No smell. Um, we brined it and wined it. In some wine brine that I made. But it was kind of a dry brine. You put the brine on and let it... Oh, that's right. It wasn't a... I'm not sure you used wine. You used maple syrup. You're right. We did dry brine that. I'm thinking of the shrimp the other night. Oh, yeah. That's a whole other story. Another story. Um, And it was uh, was delicious. Um, We used the uh, America's Test Kitchen cookbook on sous vide cooking. And I worked with those recipes and then tweaked them up to my liking. So the halibut had some capers on it. The uh, salmon had some grapefruit and avocado dressing over it, or relish kind of. And uh, man, it just came out perfect. Uh, the texture was great. Uh, the flavor was not fishy. Yeah, and it, it was just a nice flaky fish. Just delicious. And you know, sometimes you. When you have two kinds of protein like that on the same dish, one just is killer and one is great, but it's, you know, 
all four of us were like, I don't know which one I like better. And people <laughs> would say, salmon's my favorite thing, but this halibut's incredible. So it was um, it really was a great dinner. Yeah, we're having good times with the sous vide. Yeah, uh, we've we've done shrimp, we've done scallops, we've done we've brought uh, the prime rib back to life that we did on New on Man. Christmas Eve and had it New Year's Eve and uh, you've done some scallops. Did you just say that that was yeah? Scallops yeah. have been good. And the then, only thing I was not crazy about was you did steak. Was it ribeye or something? Right, we did some steak and it was just you know I think we we put a sear on it at the end. But it just wasn't the same as, as grilling. Yeah. And I think that's why the prime rib works so well. We'd roasted it already. This yeah. was just the reheating yeah. without yeah. overcooking, you know, so it kept the freshness of it. So uh, I'm in on the sous vide. Uh, the more on that, the better, especially yeah. when it comes to fish, because fish is really tricky. And I had to do a lot of homework on fish before I even crafted up my final recipe. Yeah. Uh, but that book you gave me, uh, the, food the, uh, the food lab, that had some really good information about how to, how to, what to do with fish and what not to do with fish. Mm. So that is a great book. So what um, else? Um, you had something you wanted to discuss about a wine box statement, and I do not know. This was going to be a surprise to me. You just said, remind me, I must talk about the wine box statement. I know. Was I going to talk about my, about my jungle juice? Maybe, but it said statement. So I thought maybe it was something on the box that you were reading. Was it something about it? sugar amounts or – I mean, I don't know. Hmm. hmm. You can tell we're prepped for this show. Yeah, we're real ready. Well, I will tell you, uh, I, I, I do have uh, wine in the box here at home, mm-hmm. real good for cooking. But uh, if I just wanted one more glass of wine at night now, I'll just uh, pour some of that out and Red, then I'll ready, cut it. Ready yourselves for this. Okay. You'll cut it with what? I'll cut it with like some cranberry juice so that – because I – you know, if you put a beverage in front of me, I'm going to drink it fast. You are. And whether it's alcohol or water or juice or whatever. But uh, I could stretch it out. And I, I, I found that, uh, you know, I like to get the Badger Mountain organic wine. Mm. And I found that it's really not that good. Yeah. But if you cut it with the cranberry juice, it's kind of like having a sangria and everything's fine. And I have to say, I, I shudder when I hear cut it with cranberry juice. But I did try that with the Badger Mountain, and I did not like the Badger Mountain. And then your, your little Jungle fix juice. up was, you know. It was drinkable. So, <laughs> And you had a, a wine pairing that you really enjoyed the other night. Yeah. Uh, we had a Charles Smith Merlot, which was a nice Merlot, and I had a peanut butter cup. And I am telling you, wine pairing of the month. There you go. So Charles Smith Merlot. You go with the regular peanut uh, Reese's peanut butter cup, or you can go the organic route with the Justin's. Well, we'll see. I haven't tried the organic route, so oh, okay. I'm gonna, you know, I would not want to get behind that until I actually – check it out myself but i can tell you the reese's and the charles smith merlot you know there could be a difference in sugar amounts or something could not work the same way you just never know there's only one way to find out yep get to your store right away yep all right where have we been eating and what have we been drinking let's start with eating okay where have you been lately uh so we went to uh tisley's euro pub out on in polsbo uh, right in a little old downtown area on the water. That was fun. There. I haven't been there for a yeah, long time. It's a cute little place. Yeah. Um, Paul's Bow. Paul's Bow. Yeah. And 
I thought the service was awesome. Mm-hmm. I didn't really expect a lot from the menu. I had looked at it ahead of time. We were meeting up with some friends who live over there, and that's where they wanted to go. And so we said, sure, we'll do it. Um, but they had, they had some uh, – I had some uli sausage. Mm-hmm. Well, you had you had looked at the menu and figured it all out, what you could eat that would be the healthiest for you. And then we got there, and they said, oh, it's the weekend. You, you It's all breakfast. Brunch only. Yeah, yeah. so you, you couldn't do what you wanted to do. So you had to come up with an alternative plan. And what did you have? Um, I had the Eggs Benedict. Oh, that's right. And it was, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. The, there was hash browns, which is like a guilty pleasure for me, but they really had no flavor. Mm-hmm. So it was a little disappointing, I thought, for that, because if I'm going to go and have something like Eggs Benedict that I don't do very often, I want it to be really good. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, But I, actually, I would have preferred, I think, to have lunch. I think a place like that probably has a good burger. They probably have a sausage, a, whether yeah, it's they had a, or, a chicken parmesan that I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's probably the way to go at Tisley's as opposed to brunch, although the place was packed and everybody looked happy. So could be just us. So we took uh, our friend Ronald Holden out to Happy Hour in U Village at the Bamboo Sushi. and uh, All sustainable. I think it was all... Pretty good. Yeah. It's all, all all pretty good food. Yeah. The sushi was pretty fresh. I think yeah. there was a couple of times when I was quizzical, but um You had you tried two different salmon and I think one was not it wasn't that it wasn't fresh, but the texture or something wasn't getting too. One to was you. from New Zealand, right? They had a it was Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. It looked like an Atlantic salmon. It was light in color. Yeah. And then I had an Alaskan salmon, which was red in color. Yeah. So. The, the other thing that I found interesting, they had a red crab uh, nigiri, but it was wrapped in, you know, wrapped in seaweed, so it looks like it has paper around it. It's kind of oval-shaped, mm-hmm. and it was stuffed with the, uh, with the crab. But the crab had been, um, I don't know, I wouldn't say marinated, but it had... Butter and wine on it, and I found that to be an odd combination because the crab was delicious, but it's sort of French, you know, butter, wine, crab, and then all of a sudden you're eating seaweed. Yeah, uh, it, I, I, it wasn't bad, and it was very fresh, but it, it I don't know, hmm. it was a surprise. I think I'm one of my favorite things to eat raw is scallops, and their scallop was really good, and Ronald loved that one too. So, and their spinach, their sesame spinach salad, mm-hmm. great. And you love to eat them, Mommy. Yeah, as always. <laughs> and then you went somewhere else in U Village. Where'd yeah. you go? Afterwards, we decided we walked around a little bit. Um, you bought a couple new pans at uh, not Sir Latable. What am I trying to say? William Sonoma. Sonoma. I found some scan pans that are awesome. Yeah. Put an egg in them, and it just slides all around with doing nothing. Uh, gotta love that. But I said I'd, I'd treat for dessert because I, I saw Mr. West. And I had been reading about it, and I thought, well, we need to go in there. And, you know, I don't know why sometimes places hit you this way, but I just found it to be very comfortable. It's pretty spare. There's a, a outdoor, covered outdoor section that had heat lamps in it, and a lot of people are out there, young people with their laptops. They were doing homework and they studying. They were busy on their stuff. laptops and their cell phones and their and, iPads. Yeah, they were very busy. They were very techy. <laughs> Um, 
but and that was kind of gardenish. So that was it. We were just inside the windows, and but it's, you know February in Seattle that's unheard of. Yeah, well there were heat. Oh, lamps. Oh, that's right. It's enclosed. Huh? It's enclosed, and there were heat that's lamps. It. I think so. But then it's a kind of a long. It's the old Mrs. Cooks. It's a long. They've got a long row of tables, and then on the other side it's the kitchen and a bar. Um, they have a cold box kind of where you can take cold drinks out of. And we just had dessert. Um, we had a cheese plate, which was really good, and then we had an olive oil cake, which was okay. It didn't didn't wow me, but I'm not a big olive oil cake person either. So, mm-hmm. But I thought it was fine. And it was just a very comfortable thing. I think it was pretty young staff, and they were more than happy to chat with each other than check in on us. Mm-hmm. So there was a couple times we wanted something, and we had a really... We had to make ourselves be known. Yeah. So service maybe not the best. But again, I was going to say it was late, but, you know, we went really early dinner. So I think our late dessert was like 7.15 or something. So it was hard. It should have been the shank of the evening. But I have a feeling they're way busier during the day than for dinner. So, but that was kind of fun to try it out. And I I would go back. You know, it's a great place for coffee and Mm -hmm. pastries and stuff. And who knows about a regular meal. Um, the other place we went um, one evening was Local 104. I've been passing it a lot as I've been driving to Bothell, back through the back roads to... Um, oh, wait. Bothell. I, yeah, Bothell. But, the back roads to Bothell. The back, back roads to Bothell. Lake Forest Park was what I was trying to say. Um, and they, I watched it coming and coming, and it wasn't opening, and finally it opened. And, and they have a pretty big... Menu. They do pizzas, which are very thin, looked pretty thin crust. We didn't have one. We went kind of hors d'oeuvre. I had uh, clams and dipped bread into it. I did the meatballs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I thought it was fine. It wouldn't, it's not like the first place I'd go back to, but I would go back to it. But we both felt that the prices were a little high, especially on the wine. Yeah. The wine prices were like 12 bucks a glass. That was a low number. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's not that it was bad wine or anything. It was good wine. We enjoyed it. But, you know, if you're going to go out to a little neighborhood spot, and for us, that's a bit out of the way, uh, that's kind of pricey. Right. Yeah, if it was in my neighborhood, I'd probably go a little more often, and I probably wouldn't have much wine. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be cutting it with cranberry juice in the restaurant, though. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Instead of asking for a pint of ice, you'd be like, and just a touch of cranberry juice. <laughs> so... The, the what we've been drinking thing that I wanted to talk about today is that we had the chance of trying out three Los Vascos wines. These, these are, this is a winery, a family winery in Chile, um, represented by Taub Family Selections. And they choose fine wines made by highly regarded winemaking families with long histories and ter- terroir-driven expressions. So Los Vascos is that kind of place in Chile. And... Um, it blends the Lafitte tradition with the Chilean terroir. And the Lafitte is the Rothschild. So they, Lafitte was one of the first, well, it was the first French company to um, invest viticulturally in modern Chile. So um, Los Vascos is located in a closed valley in the central zone of Chile. So the three that we tried, the first one was the Grand Reserve Carmenere in a state grown 2018. Um, I really, really want to like bell peppers, but I hate them. And the <laughs> first thing I got from the aroma was green pepper, and then I tasted it, and it tasted like that, and I liked it. 
In a wine, somehow bell pepper is fine. The green pepper was really strong, and I Maybe thought I it was delicious. Maybe I should pour alcohol over your bell peppers. There you go. I'd probably like everything that was cooked, yeah. you know, totally in alcohol. But, you know, I liked it. It was, it was a very dark wine, and the flavor really stayed on my tongue. I, I, I kept it. Yeah, I thought it was real deep, real dark, and it might have had some blackberry in it. Yeah. So we like that. That was something we just tried on its own. Then on another night, we tried the Grand Reserve Cabernet Sauvignon 2017, and I thought it was really smooth, very mellow, earthy, but not deep, deep, deep. And the nose is just what you got on your tongue. Sometimes, you know, you, you smell something, and then you taste it, and it's not anything like, and that's not always a bad thing, but it's just different. This was, what you smelled was what you got. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't as uh, deep and dark as a lot of cabs. Uh, we had it with burgers, and it didn't really – it wasn't bold enough, you know. It, it, it really didn't really pop with that Oh, really? I thought it – Grass-fed burger. I thought it was a good match because it didn't overwhelm them, and it also didn't get lost in the burger. But, okay. Then I the, like a little more bolder thing yeah, going on because it wasn't – it was not a dark – wine with meat. Yeah, it was not a dark cab. Mm-hmm. And then La Di de los Vascos, 2015, also a state grown. This had a really earthy, leathery nose. I got dark cherry. It was smooth with just a little bite. And I got a little bit of green pepper that backed off after it aerated. Like a first taste I had, it was like, okay, this is really green peppery again. And then after we aerated it and, and had it sitting out for a little bit, I thought the green pepper backed off. Well, the first thing I noticed about that was that I was able to taste it initially, and then it was it was gone. The flavor was gone, and mm-hmm. I realized that that alcohol content must be high. And we picked up the bottle and looked at it. Sure enough, fourteen and a half percent. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't sure wasn't a good drinking wine. Yeah. Uh, you might want to do that maybe with with something acidy like a spaghetti or something like that. Yeah. But uh, on its own. Just it was it was all gone by the time you got it on your palate. Yeah. All right, that's our story on food and wine. And why don't we take a break? And when we come back, we'll look at the latest tidbits from our news bites file. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Queen Anne Olive Oil. Explore their huge selection of flavor-infused olive oils and balsamics. Mix and match to create some unique taste treats. Take a field trip soon to the top of Queen Anne and experience oils and vinegars in a whole new way. Find more information at QueenAnneOliveOil.com. Hi, I'm Corey Nagler from Walla Walla. And when I'm in Seattle, I eat at La Carta de Oaxaca. This is Uli from Uli's Famous Sausage in the Pike Place Market, and you listen to the Seattle Dining Show. back on the Seattle Dining Show. I am the chief executive chef, Tom Marin, <laughs> and I'm here with the front of the house, Connie Adams, and uh, we are going to tell you what's going on around town in terms of news bites. Yeah. You can always keep up with our news bites as they happen by reading the news bites column at seattledining.com. 
Uh, the first thing I'd like to mention, because I love anniversaries, but El Gaucho in downtown Portland is uh, hitting their 20th anniversary on March 17. That's huge. Um, I can't tell you much about the bar manager, Mark Joseph. He's celebrating 20 years with the company. Steve Kane, the chef, is also, but I do know that Steve has bopped around. He was at Aqua. He's been at El Gaucho up here, Bellevue, and downtown, I think. So he's been with the company a while, but 20 years at different places. They're planning a month-long celebration with some original menu items, like from the early days, plus wine and cigar specials. Obviously, Oregon, not Washington. Um, you smoke a cigar in Oregon? I believe so. Maybe they've got... Oh. In, in Washington, you couldn't even put an enclosed room with good right. venting in, so I think it has to be a, an Oregon thing. Oh. I have not check that, that out up. next time we're down there. Yeah, because you're a big cigar smoker. Oh, yes, I am. Never seen you Me have Me and one. the boys, we love to play the poker and drink the <laughs> bourbon and smoke the cigars. And when he says boys, yes, he does mean dog poker. <laughs> um, they're going to do some Mark Joseph classic cocktails, and they they all are also going to do a Trader Vic cocktail, the Tahitian honeybee. And the reason for that is that that was the original Trader Vic's in the Benson Hotel in Oh, Oregon. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of a fun story. Paul McKay was trying to open Aqua in Seattle, ran into a two-month delay. He wanted to open in Portland, but he hadn't found the right thing, and then Trader Vix went, Vix went out. So he grabbed it because it reminded him of the original El Gaucho that closed in 85. Mm. And that's, that's how that all happened. So that was fun. Um, for those of you who listen to us, you may have heard us talk about Lucky Santo in Sunset Hill it was a very healthy, clean-eating place. The woman who was doing the food, it was connected with Jason Stoneburner of Stoneburner. Mm-hmm. And she had worked at Stoneburner. She was had a lot of food allergies, and so she was doing a very clean thing. And we went up and tried it and talked about it on the podcast. Um, it closed last November. So Jason is back in it again, and he's bringing with a woman named Holly Robinson a place called Sunny Hill. It's a Detroit-style pizza place, and I know nothing about Detroit-style, but apparently... They make them a lot of car parts. Oh, yeah, that's it's chewy. You like the Mopar pizza. <laughs> there are thick square slices, or 12-inch round pizzas. They're going to do some specials. They have brunch with breakfast sandwiches. They'll do salads, burgers, vegetables. You know, kind of sounds like something for everyone, hmm. which maybe is why the last one didn't go. Who knows? Um, Sarah Eveland, who is the sous chef at Stoneburger, will oversee the day, the kitchen daily. And then occasionally, this sounds kind of fun, they're going to do pop-ups from guest bartenders. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. And they'll have wine, cocktails, and they have a few local beers on tap. So I hope that will be a good addition to the neighborhood. And you can either take the bus up there because they're real close to the bus line, or yeah. you can uh, try to fit into one of the six parking spots in the parking yeah. lot. Or get some exercise. Park down at Golden Gardens and take those stairs up the side of the hill. <laughs> there you go. Then you'll be ready for anything. And walk back down and fall flat on your face. Yeah, don't drink heavily if you're going back <laughs> down those stairs. Um, this next one, I'm just queasy about I'll just be honest. It's called The Doctor's Office. It's a new cocktail bar on Capitol Hill. And they are doing a drink called the Pap Smear. And it's a boiler maker of Pappy Van Winkle and Smirnoff ice with 100% of the price tag going to Planned Parenthood. And the price is $220 for the drink. Whoa. So not only can I not ever say that word, the name of that cocktail again, because 
it makes me shaky. So that's a test-deductible cocktail, I do believe. Yeah, you'd hope so. it's a, definitely a – Now, I just Although wanna... Pappy Van Winkle can be very expensive, so it may be that it's, you know – Oh, okay. More than just a great cause. I don't know. Well, I, I'm wondering if the folks at McMinimums are listening and if they're going to uh, send over a little paperwork because they I have about a bar in the Forest Grove location called the doctor's office. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought of when I read this. Yeah. Uh, this is very small. It's a 12-seat bar. Uh, the drink menu is by Keith Waldbauer, and the food is by the former Babarusa partner, Rene Gutierrez. Hmm. Um. Chicago-based company Tapster is bringing a self-pour taproom to to Seattle in the Google development at South Lake Union. It's the kind of thing, just like we talked about earlier, about wines where you pay by the ounce. Uh Um, They also have bocce ball courts, swings, stadium seating, a private conference room. Sounds really interesting. It's in the lakefront blocks area, and it's going to have a 203-degree Fahrenheit coffee company and a Galos chicken spot, which is apparently a chain. I had not heard of Galos. Galos, G-A-L-O-S. Hmm. Um, 203-degree coffee. Yeah. 203-degree Fahrenheit coffee company. So I don't know. It's got to mean something that I don't understand (laughs) because you wouldn't serve it that way. Uh, I want to just call it nine below boiling. (laughs) (laughs) Just call it lawsuit. Um. Lombardi's, I don't know if this, I think this is new. I just saw it recently, and I don't see an end date to it, so it might be just something they're doing, you know. But it's uh, the Italian Supper Club. It's a three-course pre-fee menu, Monday through Friday, 3 to 5, at all their locations, Bellingham, Everett, Mill Creek. And it's a pretty large menu. There's a lot to choose from. It's it's not just, you know, two items. You can take a look at that online, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So. Sounds good. Yeah, I didn't the know they menu. had a Bellingham location. You know, I wasn't that sounds new sh- to yeah. me. I don't know how new that is. And then um, the big news locally is that the James Beard America's Classics Awards came out, and we have another winner in Washington. It's the Oriental Mart, which locals call the O-Mart, at the Pike Place Market. And you know what? I'm sure even if you've not been there, you've been by it. It's It's a little store where they sell stuff, but they've got some – some, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? The Tapas. seating at the bar. No. It, oh. The little round seats, you know, on a pole. Okay. Kind of stools. Counter seating. Yeah. And and people go there, but it's it's Philippine food, Filipino food, home-style cooking, 1506 Pike Place, number 509. Um, at the moment, and I'm not sure when, it might have been through the end of February, but the cook was in the Philippines, so it was closed. So that should be open again. So they, they've won, and it's about um, being family-owned, timeless appeal, and beloved regionally for quality food that reflects the character of the community. So that's a big win. It's, you know, great, just like the tamales were. So is, uh, is, the, is the Filipino food, uh, is that, uh, that's uh, like Philippine, right? Yeah. So is that part of the Oriental? Oh, who, it's been there for ages. Jurisdiction? So. Nobody uses the word Oriental anymore. Well, it's called Oriental Mart. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. But I'm thinking it's been there so long that was kind of what they did. Yeah. You know. So. Hmm. Ethan Stoll's third Tavolata is on course. It's nearly done. Construction is nearly done. Um, It's going into the 2 plus U development at 1201 2nd Avenue. And I 
did not know anything about this, but I was downtown and, and walking back toward Queen Anne one day and passed that building, and it is a very cool-looking building. Hmm. So they, they are up in there. They have a private room for up to 20 guests. They've got a long bar with 16 seats. The patio seats 30, the dining room seats 20, and there's a communal table for 12. And it will be open Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m., and weekends 4 to 10 p.m., 9 on Sunday. They're also going to be doing a happy hour, 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, and 4 to 6 on a Saturday and Sunday. We love Tavalada. Yeah, that was just a happy, happy experience. Yeah. Also, the happy hour at the one downtown, the new one that's coming along, mm-hmm. is going to be through the entire restaurant out on the patio. Oh, so it doesn't matter where you're sitting. Now, the, the, the sort of sad thing for me is the Mexican grocery at the Pike Place Market's closing in mid-February. Well, it's closed now, mid-February. Um, and they closed actually on Valentine's Day. Oh. Talk about breaking your heart. Break my heart yeah. for Mexican grocery. Apparently it was sold and the new person was trying to make it work and just felt it didn't financially make sense. So Ooh. It, it'd be gone. It's a big write-off now. Yeah. Now here's another thing I know nothing about, but apparently there is a giant market and food hall in San Francisco called China Live. And it is coming to 2107 Westlake early next year. So there's going to be bars, retail, open kitchens, and here's something else I don't know about. Peking duck pockets. Hmm. I guess it's handheld things stuffed with Peking duck. I just mm, don't know. Yeah, probably like a humbow, huh? Yeah, maybe so. Well, if it isn't, mm. I'll make one up myself then. Yeah, do it in the sous vide and <laughs> get busy. So the last thing I thought I'd mention is that the Seattle Cocktail Week is com- coming up March 1st through 8th, right at the start of the month. So get on that. Um, I would just look it up online because there's a lot of different places doing different things. So, um, Are you going to add this to the calendar? I, I see. Or is it in the calendar now? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, cocktail week isn't in there. Uh-uh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of the calendar, we're going to take a little break. All right. And then when we come back, we're going to do the calendar. I am so excited. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Esquin Wine and Spirits. Drop by and check out one of the widest inventories of wines from around the world, as well as local and international spirits, all procured by their expert staff. Is your wine collection ready for a new home? Esquin offers monthly wine store storage lockers in a temperature-controlled environment. Visit their website at madwine.com today. Hi, this is Julie from Willamette Valley Vineyards in Salem, Oregon. If you're ever in the Salem area, visit Bentley's in the Grand Hotel. Nice place to have a bite to eat and a good drink. Hey, I'm Jared Burns, owner and winemaker at Revelry Vintners, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Kenny, are you awake? We are back on the Seattle Dining Show. Tom and Connie here. We have arrived at the calendar section of the show. What's going on around town? Well, early in the month here, we've got Wednesday, March 4th at 6.30. Steelhead Diner is doing a paired dinner with Fremont Mischief Distillery. I think that would be fun. It's 85 per person plus tax and grat. Derek Lewis from Fremont Mischief with Steelhead Chef Anthony Polizzi, a great guy, 
and Steelhead GM Brian Proch. And Brian, I am so sorry. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Um, Fremont will have its latest cocktails and current releases. There'll be hors d'oeuvres, an appetizer of house-cured wild salmon gravlocks, lamb chops with, get this, black peanut salsa, and crispy yucca. Doesn't that sound good? That sounds delicious. And a warm molasses bread pudding. So mm-hmm. get on that. All right. On uh, Thursday, March 6th, oh, excuse me, March 5th <clears throat> at 6 p.m., uh, Nexus and Frontera Spanish Wine Dinner at the Harvest Vine. Uh, this is going to be $125, and that includes the food, the wines, the tax, and the grat. Excellent. Uh, Loretto Herrero of Nexus will be there pouring his wines. Her. Her wines. Loretto, you know, I, I know all the Spanish <laughs> names so well. Um, and let's see, uh, food from uh, Chef Joey Sarkina, like braised beef tongue, roasted suckling pig, Spanish cheeses, and it's going to end off with a chocolate espresso tart. Mm. Now, tell me about roasted suckling pig. Do you actually take the pig out while it's suckling? No, oh. and don't say that. We're talking babies. <coughs> okay, All moving right. on. All right. Saturday, March 7th, 5 p.m., Daniel's Broiler brings back its Bellevue Bourbon Bash. It's $165 for regular admission, 185 We'll get you regular admission and a Bourbon Bash logoed polo. Both include tax and grat. It's their ninth annual event. It's one of the largest collections of bourbon and rye whiskey on the West Coast. There are over 100 bourbons available for sampling with a small collection of that Pappy Van Winkle, but hopefully they won't be calling it any kind of name that I can't repeat again. Pappy keeps popping up. Pappy's popping up. Um, local distillers and brand reps will be on hand to answer questions and share history. And you also get a tasting guide and a commemorative glass. On the weekend of March 7th and March 8th, LeMay down in the Puyallup area will be doing a wine, spirits, and chocolate event. This is going to be uh, held Saturday from noon to 9 and then Sunday from noon to 4 p.m. There's going to be over 40 vendors showcasing desserts and wine from around Washington. Uh, Each one, everybody gets a complimentary wine glass and five wine-tasting tokens. That's quite a deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Additional wine-tasting tokens are available for a dollar each, and they may be purchased at the door. And tastings may range from one to three tokens. Okay, it's yeah, going to so. be less of a deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, carefully selected wines and chocolate and candy vendors, as well as specialty gift shopping vendors. And as always at the LeMay campus down there, you can view dozens of vintage vehicles from the collection. And I will tell you a tip. If you can find a docent who can walk you around mm. the entire grounds, grab them. Because there's a lot more to see than what's up in those front rooms. Oh, okay. Good tip. Um, we'll talk a little bit later about Taste Washington coming up. But uh, at the front end of Taste Washington, there are a number of wine dinners that have been set up. Um, the first one just made me laugh. Not laugh, because it just tells you how much money there is in, in Seattle. Uh-huh. It's a dinner with uh, at Canlis with their ship, Brady Williams and somebody from San Francisco, I believe. $300 per person. It's already sold out. 
Oh, we won't be talking about that one. So we're not talking about it, but I just think, wow, the $300 per person one sold out immediately. The one percenter wine dinner has sold out. (laughs) So on Thursday, all of these are Thursday, March 19th, 5.30 to 8.30. Well, sorry, there are two seatings on this one, 5.30 and 8.30. It is Chef Reem Asil, Asil from San Francisco and Logan Cox from Restaurant Homer. It's $195, takes place at Restaurant Homer. Reem has Palestinian Syrian roots, so she's using Arab flavors and techniques. Logan is, of course, doing his Mediterranean Middle Eastern inspired cuisine with Pacific Northwest ingredients. So that one would be fun. Mm, Then on, uh, well, same day, uh, 7 p.m. seating only. This is going to be uh, Chef Chris Shepard from Houston and Eduardo Jordan. This will be held at the Solare restaurant over in the lovely neighborhood of Wedgwood. Uh, Going to be $225 a plate. Uh, Chef Chris is a James Beard winner with two restaurants, One Fifth and Georgia James. Okay. Interesting names. Uh, Eduardo has two James Beard Awards, African-American contributions to America's culinary heritage. Yeah. So the next dinner in the dinner series on, of course, the same day, 7 p.m., it's Chef Melissa Perello of San Francisco and Ethan Stoll. This will be $225 at Tavolata on Capitol Hill. Do not go to Belltown. Chef Melissa is totally connected to North Cal- Northern California farmers and purveyors. Ethan is Ethan, you know. And uh, they're combining with Chateau San Michel for this dinner. So pick... Pick one of the three for yeah, sure. You can't do them all. Uh, on Thursday, March 19th through March 22nd is going to be Taste Washington. Uh, that will be general admission from 2 to 5.30 p.m. I, I think that it, this is not happening Thursday, March 19th. No, no. The, Taste Washington is all of those days. Okay. The, we're, the, but the actual you're date about, of the event itself is on that Sunday. Well, right? you're talking about the Grand Tasting now. Oh, I see, the Grand Tasting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 2 to 5.30 p.m. VIP Tasting is 1 to 5.30 p.m. And uh, this will be held down at the CenturyLink Field Event Center, as always. It's actually two days. Uh, it's going to be on 321 and 322, so Saturday and Sunday. Uh, $95 to $230, depending on which tasting you want to hit. For $125 on Friday, the 20th, uh, it's called the Pacific Standard. This is a new event at Elliott Hall on Pier 66, runs from 7 to 10 p.m. Nautically inclined, wine-imbued, mountain-framed, pier-stacked, stuff-your-face event. What a, what a motto. I had to put it in there because I thought it was so weird. That actually. sounds like Buckalicious. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. For $150, you can go to the new vintage, which moves to Saturday night, 321, in Fisher Pavilion from 7 to 10 p.m. This is the one that has a lot of young people. In yeah, it, that's, right? that was the idea originally of it was to bring new people in, you know. And as always, there's lots of seminars going on, so check out the Taste Washington website for more details on that. And then to wind it all up on Sunday, or sort of wind it up if you're not going to the Grand Tasting, there is a Taste Washington brunch at the Whale Winds from 10.30 to noon. That's $95. 
It's Chef Renee Erickson, and she will have a special guest chef who has not been announced. There'll be Hamahama Fresh Oysters, General Porpoise Donuts, Sparkling Wine, and the bounty of the beaches, gardens, and farms that define the Pacific Northwest. Mm. Somebody's got a real marketing flair who's writing this stuff. Yeah, you know, I'd really love to have my oysters with donuts. I like to put them, you know, it's sort of like the new KFC chicken between two donuts. I think an oyster between a couple donuts would be the way to go. Uh, or you just shove the oyster into in the, the hole. hole. Yeah, yeah perfect. Yeah. And then later you could take the donut holes and just do a little saute with the oysters. We have such good ideas. Can't you just deep fry the oysters with the donut? You could do that. I don't see why not. When you make the donut, you just do it all at once. And, you know, eventually that oil could be used for so many things. That's sustainable cooking, if you ask me. Yeah. Hmm. Go. All right. On Saturday, March 21st at 1 p.m. at Serafina, it's called Rum, the Soul of the Cane. It's going to be $90 plus tax and gratuity. Uh, origins of rum. Now, they kind of do this every year, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do. Uh, evolution of the production. They'll be making different rum cocktails, and there will be a four-course paired lunch to go along with that. Yeah. So maybe that's a little alternative from the taste Washington right there. Exactly. Then Saturday, March 28th from 6 to 10 p.m., it's the Big Five Wine Dinner Series at the Walla Walla State Company. We've been talking about this. It's been happening once a month. $140 includes tax and grat. Each one celebrates a different wine district of Walla Walla. This is the east side district. So it'll be Walla Walla Vintners, Abeja, Aluve, I guess it is, or Aluve, mm-hmm. Figgins, and Leonetti. Mm. That should be a good one. Can I just go for the Leonetti part? It'll probably <laughs> yeah. cost me like 130 <laughs> yeah. huh? I'll be outside. <laughs> just pass the glass, please. <laughs> All right, now we got a special guest coming up, right? Yes, we do. Tell us about our special guest. Our special guest is Joe Pulicicchio, the Director of Produce and Floral at Town & Country Markets. Now, you know those – you may know them as Town & Country Markets. You may know it as the Ballard Market. You may know it as Central Market. It's all the same company. Um, And he is here to talk produce with us, produce and fruit and what's coming up for spring. All right, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back with that. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Salty Seafood Waterfront Restaurants. Visit them on the water at their Alki, Redondo, and Portland locations. Hi, this is Mike Jordan living up in Shoreline, Washington, and one of my favorite spots is to go to Salt and Iron in Edmonds. Hi, this is Janie from Northwest Travel and Life magazine, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. We are back on the Seattle Dining Show. I am Tom Marin, the publisher. I'm here with Connie Adams, the front of the house. And if you listen to this show from even if it's just time to time, you know that we like to shop at Central Market up in Shoreline. And it's close to our test kitchen down here in Broadview. And we're very fortunate today to have the director of produce and floral for town and country, which is the parent of Central Market, Joe Policicchio, 
is here to talk fruits and vegetables with us today. Indeed. Welcome, Joe. Good to be here, Connie. You know, I'm going to start off with a uh, confusing moment for me this morning. I went out and just wanted to look at the website, and you look up town and country, and it says there are stores in on Bainbridge, in Ballard, and at Lakemont and Bellevue. And I'm like, hey, where's Central Market? So then I went down, and I did eventually find a little flag that said, looking for Central Market, and you click on it. So what's the difference there? I know when I go to Ballard Market, the shopping carts say Central Market on it, so I know it's all connected. But what's the breakdown there? Well, we're working on all that. Ah. You know, we only have six stores, and they at one time they were all independently run. Even the ah. central market, each central market kind of operated autonomously. Oh, okay. We're kind of bringing them together, and we've recently done some studies and figured out that, you know, customers are actually identifying us as three separate brands. Yeah. So they identify with Central Market mm-hmm. as a brand, and they identify with Town & Country as a brand, which is really, simplest terms, it's just a smaller footprint. Mm-hmm. Stores are smaller. Okay. Pretty much all the same products and all the same offerings and all those types okay. of things. But they also identified the Ballard Market because it did operate like this. In fact, that's the store I started the company with oh, really? back in 87. It was kind of a rebel and uh, it, identi- it really branded itself well as itself. So yeah. we're going to work on how do we bring this brand together so that customers out there in the community recognize that really it's a town and country markets yeah. and it's, you know, locally owned and small family. And, yeah. you know, how do we get that connection? So we're, we're working on that. Oh, okay. That explains it. I, I knew they were all connected. And we were just recently at the Palsmo market, which is huge. That's a central it's huge. That it's, was our first central. Is it? Okay. Yeah, it opened in 90, I want to say 95. We built it in 94, opened in 95, I believe it was. What a beautiful store. Yeah, they're coming up on 25 years this year in August, I think. I'm pretty wow. sure. Yeah. Crazy. Well, one of the things, before we talk about actual produce items, I kind of wanted to go over, you and I had talked about what Town & Country, Central Ballard, all those stores want to do. So one of the things you had talked about was that it's about choice, about quality, and an eating experience. Yes. Being a, a store of choice. So tell us a little bit about that, because I thought that was interesting. Yeah, store of choices means, <clears throat> in a nutshell, you know, we're not going to really tell you how you should eat. Yeah. You know, we're not going to, although we do have to. I'll take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> and he will. Yeah. <laughs> But we're going to provide you the choices, like a choice between a conventionally farmed item and an organic product. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we're going to sub only organic items because they're competitive, they're abundant, the quality is the best. Mm-hmm. Other times we're going to offer both because mm-hmm. uh, it's, you know, it's up to the customer as mm-hmm. to what they support. And what we found through time is virtually all customers buy both organic and conventional products in the same shopping trip. It's yeah. all a matter of what's the best quality, Is it does it fit into my cost range, all of those different mm-hmm. things. But on the other hand, you can also buy Coca-Cola in our stores. Yeah, You know, we're not trying to spin in a certain direction. We're trying to open to a broad sense. And, mm-hmm. you know, at one time, I think it was 80s, 90s, 90s, early 2000s, it was all about cooking, oh. cooking, 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 chefs yeah. and cooking. And although that's great, not everybody cooks, Yeah. but everybody eats. So by focusing on the eating experience, like how do our peaches eat? Yeah. 
are the grapes we're getting eating the way we want? Now, you can't get a perfect grape all year long. You're subject to the season and the varieties. But what we try to do is put our promotions around when this product is eating the best. Okay. And eating and, being the texture, the, the yeah. taste, the... Everything. Yeah. You know, the, what's the smell? What's the, you know, the, the look? Does it bring back any memories when you bite into it? Is, where's that, that, what's the sugar to acid ratio? We don't want just all sweet, no acid, yeah. because acid gives flavor, sugar gives sweet. Yeah. So a good example of this is the Picharama. Mm-hmm. You guys do that? No, we don't. No. Oh, I thought you did. That's Met Market. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you do the artichoke aroma, right? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> we always shop in Central. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a good example would be um, we will we kind of steer away from promoting too much, other than the Satsuma in December, mm-hmm. we steer away from promoting very much citrus in December. Okay. Because really, December is too early for most citrus items. They're barely making minimum sugar, you know, acids high, and minimum sugar is not going to be your best. But when you move into January and February, that's when you should be February all the way through March. That's when we want to really push on citrus items. You can't yeah. go wrong to eat like a million bucks. Same thing goes for grapes. So in the winter months, you're, you're in chili and fruit, which starts in December. Mm-hmm. The very early varieties are not that great. Yeah. In fact, the early part of this year, we've been pulling our grapes out of Peru off the East Coast. And it costs because the varieties that were coming out of Peru earlier were bigger and better than oh. what chili was offering. Yeah. Now, as you move into March... The Chilean grapes are in the peak of their season. They're best varieties. They're big, they're crisp, they're crunchy, and they're sweet, and they have flavor. Mm. Okay, and that'll run through April. Then you move into Mexico, California, and you start over again. Yeah. You start with these varieties that are early varieties. They're not as big. They're not as sweet. They're not as crunchy. But as you move in, when you get into California fruit and their peak and the best varieties, that all starts in early August. Yeah. And runs through October. So. And this also connects with your um, desire for affordability for everybody. And you would like to, you know, buy from as close as you can, mm-hmm. but you don't do it unless it's the best quality. Yes. And that's not necessarily going to make it more affordable because yeah. I'll, I'll be the first to say we're, we're not trying to be the price leader. Yeah. What we're trying to do is make sure that you spend your money well. So that when you yeah. buy something and you make that investment in it, that you actually enjoy what you're eating. Mm-hmm. Um, but our practice of being closer to home, particularly in produce, is we we try not to go further from home than we have to to mm-hmm. get the quality. Mm-hmm. So and every item's a little different. We can't be so rigid because we would be shutting ourselves down. Yeah. We also have a, a responsibility. So we don't want to run a truck out of its way 200 miles to get a handful of boxes just to support something closer to home Mm -hmm. because that's really not environmentally responsible either so there's a balance so the best example i could give you would be asparagus if you think about asparagus starting in the winter in late october out of peru Mm -hmm. and then new crop mexico comes into play and and i it comes into play usually mid-january okay you can still get Peruvian, but we move closer to home to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Well, then California in asparagus will start here in about two weeks, usually mid-May, mid-March, depending on the year. Mm-hmm. We will move out of Mexico to California to get closer to home, even though the California asparagus will cost more. 
oh, than okay. Mexico. But Mexico, Mexico can produce asparagus almost year round. In fact, you can get Mexico grown asparagus all the way through June and July. Wow, it's tired. Yeah, and you got to remember, asparagus is like grass. The spring crop, the first crops that come out of an area are the sweetest and the best. Oh, okay. Just like grass that you feed cattle on. Yeah. The spring grass is always the most nutritious, sweetest, and flavorful. So, And then once California starts, we'll move to Washington as soon as they start in eastern Washington, and mm -hmm. that's generally in mid-April. Oh, okay. And we'll stay there until... It's done. It's done. Okay. And virtually every time we make that move closer, our cost is higher than if we just stayed. Oh, okay. Because the fruit they know they got competition coming, so they lower yeah. their pricing to oh, keep selling their product. Interesting. See? So, yeah. And we do it at various different levels. You know, it would make no sense to go to California to pick up one pallet of asparagus and still have to buy out of Mexico. Yeah. So we'll wait till we can make that transition yeah. completely, make the move. Because you have a certain volume you know you need. Yeah. And you don't want to be piecemealing it. Yeah, and you don't want to be running these trucks all over the place because of the limited time on the road they have and and all of those different factors into trucking. I mean, trucking is a difficult – there are people that make living just organizing trucks. Yeah. And once you have a truck making more than just a couple of stops in an area, you seriously impact the efficiencies of that, that truck. Yeah. Wow. Um, one of the other things we talked about that I thought was really interesting was that um, – we were talking about organic, and that's the thing, you know, and, and I like to eat organic. But you were saying what seems to be becoming a bigger thing is the sustainability. Absolutely. More so than organic. Yep. What's, what's happening is organic is important. Um, but as time goes on, you get more and more – I mean, conventional farming is getting closer to organic. They're just yeah. getting cleaner and closer. They all are. These yeah. – these old practices to save crops or, or to prevent mildew or, or to secure a crop, they're very expensive. So there becomes a breaking point. And through time, they've just eliminated a lot of the things. So they're getting closer and closer and closer. The big issue, though, is the amount of water. Yeah. Whether you're organic or conventional, you, these guys have really dialed in. What is the amount of water I can use? And they're, they're limited. They're yeah. actually now in a place where... They're choosing between what they grow based on what yeah. they can return with the water resources they have. So if you're a grower and they're telling you you only get two acre feet of water for this season for these acres, you're not going to grow something that takes three acre feet yeah. of water. So And you talked to me about, and I've, I may have it written down someplace, but you talked to me about one guy who's just lowered the amount of acreage he's growing on because he wants to use that water for that and he can't do the whole can't do the whole thing. He has to pick and choose how much and what he invests yeah. in growing. You know, I, I saw him, some of them have taken out certain crops and put in walnuts yeah. and, and different things like that. Uh, but when it comes to sustainability, we all know that this vertical farming has got to take hold. I mean, where yeah. the, so Canada is a little ahead of the U.S. Mm -hmm. in some of this area with greenhouse. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've been working with a company called Inspired Greens, and they are actually, they can't call their product organic. Because in Canada it, and, and in many of the states in the U.S., it has to be grown in dirt oh. in order to get that name. Oh, Even though everything they're using and doing is actually as clean, if not cleaner. Interesting. Do you the, think that'll so change? So even hothouse-grown products? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you gotta you got to do something with – got to have dirt. So some of the stuff we're getting in hothouse-grown, they have that little plug. 
of dirt on them. Oh, yeah. That's how they do that. Okay. You know, but in oh. Canada, it's very strict about that. It's, got, it's part of their deal that it's got to be grown in dirt as part of the sustainability. You need to be a steward of the earth, take yeah. care of the dirt. But the beauty about Inspired Grains is it's every bit as clean. They use no pesticides. They use a system in their greenhouses of putting in introducing good bugs oh, yeah. to take care of the bad bugs. Mm-hmm. And they use 1% of the water that it would take to grow this product outdoors. That's huge. Because they recycle and reuse. And the only water they're actually losing is what the plant actually keeps yeah. and or just evaporates. Yeah. You mentioned to me, and I, you may have been uh, exaggerating, I don't know, but you said the farmers have gotten so good at water usage that you use more water on your lawn in the summer than they use Oh yeah, on their acreage. And it was like, boy, we could all take a lesson from that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love my green lawn, and sometimes I'm, I'm kind of ashamed. <laughs> but uh, and if you look at what I do, because I'm not, I don't have all the equi- I don't have the science behind it all. Yeah. But they do, yeah. and they know precisely how much water to give and when to give it. That really, in farming as a general rule, they have reduced their water use over the past forty years immensely. Yeah. I couldn't give you the exact number, but it's more than, uh, I bet you they're using 20% of the water they just used 40 years ago and producing twice as much product with it. Yeah. And they understand air temperature, humidity in the air, you know, what does the plant yeah. need? Also the tree. And there's also certain times where they intentionally want to stress a plant oh. because they're producing a product for harvest. And so there yeah. comes a point where they may actually withhold water to stress the plant to produce its fruit. Wow. So. That's fascinating. Well, speaking of fruit and product, let's go into some of that. What's, what's oh. coming up? And one of the things we did start talking about asparagus. So that's, um, you said, great and abundant in March. Mm-hmm. And at this point in time, the difference between organic and not, the, the price is pretty. Pretty close. Yeah. Pretty close. In fact, we have a big board on, on organic this week. Uh, organic is going to transition to California in about 10 days, okay. and the cost will go up. But generally in in March, fe- late February, March, your cost between conventional and organic, it might be a dollar or two a pound mm-hmm. different. Uh, it's not like in the winter when the organic can actually be 4 and $5 a pound yeah. more. Uh, even, even conventional asparagus is expensive in the off-season. So, yeah. um, and, and a lot of that has to do, they can go all over the world with it. Yeah. Wow. Um, you also mentioned that artichokes. This is a great time for artichokes. Yeah, we're leveraging them to try, but we're, <laughs> we're little. We're small guys. Yeah. But, you know, every year your spring crop starts in March. Okay. It peaks in April on spring artichokes. And what we wanted to do this year, we wanted to try to actually be a little more aggressive and try to work with some growers to say, hey, if we get behind them and do some things, and we, we'll pass it through to our customer, because mm-hmm. we really want to think that, you know, cu- customers need to experience an artichoke. If yeah. you never had, it's a missing. Yeah. The other part of it is, is every year we, we've noticed we get less and less opportunity in March. Oh. And it's it's like... At what point do we say, hey, you know, we'll make something happen with it and let's try. So we are, we are now, last week we heard that they weren't going to come to the table. Oh. If they can sell everything they got, I understand yeah. it. And we're not trying to give them away for free, but we are trying to say, you know, if you'll give us a little better cost of goods, we'll drop our margin and pass it all that through mm-hmm. to the customer. And build a customer. And we'll, we'll get it out there and let the customers try and experience. And if you don't know how to use it, 
mm-hmm. or eat it, just ask. Our culinary or our staff can yeah. really tell you how to cook an artichoke yeah. and what they like on them. There's know. so many ways to do it, too. You just oh. do them like my mom did. Just boil the hell out of them, you know? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Uh, we don't, don't go do that, that far. Yeah. Steaming, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, a couple inches in the bottom of the pan. It usually takes about 35 to 45 minutes for a big artichoke. Yeah. And, yeah. But there's a way to do it. And I know personally, uh, I just would have an artichoke for dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a nice big artichoke. You don't need anything else. Yep. It's just so delicious. It's filling. Yep. That's what my wife and I do a lot of times because we carry these pretty big artichokes. Oh, yeah. And they've got a big heart in them. Yeah. Um, we usually split it. And that's our dinner. Yeah. And so one artichoke, you know, it, it yeah. split makes it. That's actually when you look at the cost of that, it's pretty reasonable. I know. I used to say that to my mom. It's like I'm getting this artichoke, and I know you're looking at me because I'm paying four or five dollars for an artichoke, but it's my entire dinner, yeah. you know. And if you're splitting it, that's right. like nothing. So. Well, we're going to try to do better than four or five dollars. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. I don't. You know, you see them that way. Three ninety eight, four ninety eight. Yeah. So. Yeah, I haven't priced them lately. Um. You've talked a little bit earlier about citrus, but you uh, there's the tango mandarin and the caracara orange mm-hmm. from California. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, the caracara orange is it's it's at its peak in February and March. I mean, that's when that fruit eats right. You see a lot of ads on them in December and January, and it's really too early on the caracara. Yeah. And a caracara is not a cross between a grapefruit and an orange. Yeah. It's actually its own variety. It was found in Venezuela. Oh. On Hacienda Caracara, that's how oh, it got its name, and okay. it was it was propagated because they liked that fruit. Okay. So, uh, and the Tango Mandarin happens to be organic. It's a Mercot variety, uh, and they call it a Tango. This grower calls it a Tango, and we've we've elected to pick that fruit as one of our focus items for the month of March. Okay. And then the last thing I wanted to mention was that you were talking about the yellow mango that was coming from Mexico and Peru. Yes. Uh, Peru is winding down. Mexico is starting. Right now, they're both available in organic and conventional. They will actually really start to ramp up as we move into March and peak in in April and May. Mm -hmm. And we'll try as best we can to to do a lot with that. That fruit is actually best when it's full yellow and actually starts to wrinkle on the outside. You want it to get that little bit of wrinkle on the outside. Because the, the acid level in mangoes continues to drop as it ripens and softens, and in the yellow mango or champagne mango, it, it tends to be high acid even when it's full yellow while it's still smooth. So you want that to get oh, a, okay. bring it home, set it on your counter. If it wrinkles a little bit, don't throw it out. That's when it's going to eat best. Well, to wrap this up, I would like to say, if you talk to Joe for more than three minutes, you will realize that there is so much to being a produce manager. You think, oh, yeah, you're a buyer. You're going to go out. You're going to do this. <laughs> what you have to know about every product and what country and what, you know, the, the theory, the concept that your store is working off of, it's in, insanely detailed. So it's amazing. Thank you for being here and sharing some of this with us. Well, thank you for having me. You thank bet. you. And thank you for your wonderful market. And it's nice to have all the options I get when I shop there. I know. I love you're it. welcome. All right, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back after this. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... B&E Meats and Seafood, your neighborhood butcher with four locations to serve you in Des Moines, Burien, Newcastle, and the top of Queen Anne Hill. Unique products, great meats, the freshest seafood, and a knowledgeable, friendly staff make shopping at B&E Meats and Seafood the best choice. Hi, I'm Brad from Snohomish. One of my favorite restaurants is Daniel's Broiler, where I enjoy a good ribeye. 
This is Michael out of Portland, Oregon with Red Duck Foods, and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Welcome back to the final portion of the Seattle Dining Show for March 2020. You are here with... The dessert. Yeah, the dessert, if you will. Um, You are with Tom Marin and Connie Adams, and we like to end the show with some tips. And I was thinking about, if you want to refer back to the start of this show, about Tom's dinner the other night where he sous-vided the... The fish. The fish. And I was thinking... um, that I go in and out of cooking. I love to cook, and then I don't do it for a while, and then I love to cook, and then I don't do it for a while. And you sort of lose your momentum. You have uh, gotten really into it, and you're not afraid to do anything. You'll try anything. And most of the time, it works out well. But for people who are feeling a little shaky on it, and they don't want to like make a dinner and have it not turn out and stuff, I was thinking that for someone like me, sometimes when I haven't cooked a while, what I like to the first meal I want to do is something that I've had big success with. So the other night I made chicken piccata. Yep. I've got that and my chicken marsala recipe and my... Uh, those are go-tos for you. Yeah, those are go-tos for me. Yeah. And they, they really are simple things and they almost, unless I do something really stupid, they, they turn out consistently well every time. So you kind of need that win under your belt. And then the next time you go to cook, you're like, God, that was really fun. It was so great to do something nice for somebody, and it turned out well. What do I want to do this time? Then you can start letting your creativity go and really having some fun with it instead of worrying about whether you're going to wreck it or not. And I think just getting that win under your belt really helps you start out again. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, uh, we were talking about this the other day too. Uh, uh, All these recipes that are online from places yeah. that you've never heard of and people who, you know, blogger mommies in the Midwest and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and they're just not working out. You know, we try them in our kitchen and they just kind of fail every time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, you got your go-to uh, stuff like that that works. And mm-hmm. then finding new things, I think you need to spend the money to get some Good cookbooks yeah. done by reputable people, not just grandma's recipe from 1942, yeah. you know. Which, you know, the thing about that is it holds a lot of great memories for people. Certainly, well, I don't remember anything about how my grandma cooked because I don't think she liked cooking. <laughs> but um, I have a lot of great memories from my mom cooking. But we take those things that we loved and we adapt them to how we eat now. And mm-hmm. that works, you know. You don't have to give up your memories. Well, my tip today is about uh, brines and marinades. And uh, like you said, I'm I'm not afraid to try anything. And Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I do the craziest stuff that works out really good. So uh, recently we had shrimp, Mm -hmm. and I brined that in a mixture of water, wine, salt, and liquid smoke. Mm -hmm. No, it wasn't wine. It was water. Bourbon, mm, yeah, salt, and liquid smoke, and it was delicious. It was really good. And I find, you know, we talked about the sous vide at the first part of the show. Um, in the sous vide cooking, you're never going to get the smoke on your meat, 
Uh, you know, liquid smoke is not anything that's going to kill you. It's actually pretty much all a natural product made from wood smoke. Well, you have organic yeah. smoke, don't you? Yeah. So, um, anyways, um, I really like brining chicken. Mm-hmm. I really like brining fish. I really like brine scallops and shrimps and, you know, and then marinate too. Yeah. And we do some nice marinades on, on some of the meats that mm-hmm. we have. I ended up brining all that shrimp and then I put a marinade on it at the end. And, yeah. Oh, it's all good stuff. So, you know, you can really kick the flavor thing up the, yeah. the, you know that whole area of the food flavor you can really yeah. punch it up when you do a little brining do a little marination and try something new yeah. and you know the other night when i made the lemon chicken normally i would just brine water and salt but i threw some con- lemon concentrate in there lemon oil mm-hmm. and sliced up a garlic clove and put a little salt a uh, little pepper in as well mm-hmm. so it just added a little more to that and then if i'm if i'm doing oil in the marinade um i'm going to use a hand mixer to really blend mm. that up real nice before i pour it in the bag and yeah saturate the the protein yeah so it's an even flavor yeah excellent all right it is time to wrap up. It's the end of our March show. Thank you for joining us. If you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so. Just visit www.seattledining.com and click on subscribe free. We'll see you back here in April. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner. All right. However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music of Fremont Icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Dog House, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the Seattle Dining Show.